What is the intersection of Elon Musk, cryptocurrency, Dogecoin, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Fed? Find out on this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Paxton, voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Weeds. Today, we're going to go to closer to current events as we're going to unpack and critique the Saturday Night Live performance of Elon Musk. Us call in the context of cryptocurrency. So, Matt, um, what drew you to uh, Dory and Elon Musk's role in it? Tom, I have to admit, uh, it had nothing to do with Elon Musk appearing on Saturday Night Live, which I did not watch uh, on Saturday Night Live. It was two, uh, two days ago, I guess. Uh, what intrigued me was that in late April, Tesla had published its latest earnings report. And this was for first quarter of 2021. And, you know, at the top line, generally, at first glance, these numbers looked okay. Tesla had net income of $438 million, and that is up from only $16 million in the year ago quarter. So, hey, man, everything's good, right? But then if you peel back and look a little deeper at how Tesla made its money, uh, more than $100 million of this $438 million in profit came from the sale of Bitcoin holdings that Tesla had. And if people might remember the history here, uh, Tesla announced in February that it had acquired $1.5 billion worth of coin as an investment for, I guess, surplus cash. Uh, Bitcoin is a sale asset. So basically... Tesla bought a bunch of Bitcoin, sold some of the Bitcoin, and when it netted out a transaction cost, within the first quarter, they picked up an extra $100 million, $101 million to be. Absent that Bitcoin arbitrage play that Tesla did, its net income actually would have been considerably less, only $338 or $335 million or so. So my question here is really, is this earnings management or not that Tesla is engaged in? Uh, they could see in their quarterly projections if they were going to be meeting market expectations or not. They had this asset that they invested in, Bitcoin, which going up and up, up and up in price, like it was going out of style. And then they had the ability, if we sold this Bitcoin now and the profit, we would be able to get our net income and our earnings this much more, and wouldn't that be great? That is a, I don't know if that is exactly what happened, but that is one plausible interpretation of what Tesla did within its uh, financial operations in first quarter 21. So my question is, are we for real here, folks? Are we allowing this sort of, a, um, you know, I have some real things that we could talk about other companies doing these sort of Bitcoin plays, I have misgivings about how we are going bin and its high level nature in its price. I don't know where it is these days. I think I heard in February and then it went down, maybe back up again. It was done before, but Bitcoin has become a black hole on the corporate balance sheet and the income statement. And like all good black holes, it is exerting so much gravitation force, it is starting to pull other line items of statements out of their natural orbit. And we have to think through, is this what we want? Is this what's good for investors?
regulators? Should regulators be thinking about this or not? And Tom, that's what inspired me to talk about Tesla above all, but I have one or two other examples we can talk to later on too, but this is an issue of concern. About Tesla making these investments and then Musk announcing to the, uh, we've made these investments and indeed we're taking these investments to the moon with us. Uh, and I specifically refer to Dogecoin, which he said uh, that would bark on the moon one day. Is that market manipulation? Uh, you know, it, it could be. Because, well, first off, number one, we don't know how much Bitcoin Elon Musk himself might own personally. We don't know if he owns any Dogecoin, which is, I, I guess you'd call it a rival currency to Bitcoin. We don't know if he owns it. I was told, actually, to me earlier, that on Saturday Night Live, he called Doge Hustle. So is he trying to talk down the value of Dogecoin. So crypto fanboys will then go back into Bitcoin and bid it back up. Um, is that market manipulation? Is that asset inflation for Tesla because he owns um, You know, if you walk through the sequence, here's what happened, is that throughout lots of 2020 and into early 2021, here's Elon Musk, one of the biggest voices on Twitter, with this huge Man, fan base, uh, just kind of musing about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as the future. Tesla buys its Bitcoin, announces this purchase to the world. Elon boys on social media, they all own it like, you know, 16 year olds, and the price of Bitcoin soars. And then Tesla sells its Bitcoin, books a profit, and then records that on the income statement as this nice hunky dory earnings report that came out just about two weeks. Like, I were the SEC, I would want to know, what was the exact sequence here? We talked this up. When was the decision made by Bitcoin? When did uh, Tesla decide it was going to sell Bitcoin? Who did sell that much? Why not more? Why not less? Um, and we should remember that this is not the first time Musk has had a run-in with the SEC over intemperate things he has said on Twitter that caused market reactions, which were not necessarily true. It was back in 2018, where he announced on Twitter that uh, he was going to take private at $420 a share. Uh, was the market to go bonkers? Now, alert, Tesla never did go private. He never did have the funding for that, like he had said in the tweet. Um, their big SEC investigation actually find him. $20 million. They find the company another $20 million. They had to put a new board direct on Tesla to make sure that they could try and exercise some control over this ego, otherwise known as Elon Musk. And they even hired a extra corporate government attorney who I think around like a puppy trying to ensure that they vet his Twitch. Yeah, I'm sure that happens all the time. That follows proper procedure. Give me a break. Uh, Elon Musk is in many ways a brilliant scientist, entrepreneur, but I don't know that he is a very good executive for a publicly traded company. He is wielding immense power over this highly volatile asset and playing loosey-goosey with Tesla earnings. And how on earth is that in the interests of investors in the capital market? Somebody put to me because I can't fathom it. So let me just pick up on the Saturday Night Live because although I didn't watch it live, I did watch the replay. And 
in the replay, first of all, he had his mother for the opening, and he told his mother he was giving her Dogecoin for uh, Mother's Day, which he said she did not want. Uh, but he played a business analyst on the news segment where he characterized, uh, he said, Dogecoin as hustle. Dogecoin immediately lost a third of its value. And as of today, Robinhood has reported its suspended trading of Dogecoin. So uh, lots of volatility there. But, you know, Musk weighed in on the GameStop uh, in Broglio and actually drove up uh, the price uh, by backing the Robinhooders who were uh, trying to uh, fight the short sellers. The uh, um, So we have who is really driving the market in a variety of ways, not simply his own company. I mean, what's the SEC's response to that? Or is it simply, it's only if he manipulates Tesla stock that we're concerned? Very good question. Um, first off, he is manipulating Tesla, either their earnings statements, he is manipulating the that Tesla owns, which by the way, Do- you know, Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever coins that he wants the company to own, that's got nothing to do with Tesla's core business which last time I checked when building and selling letters. Um, so why are we bothering with that? But he is an outsized influence on the market. You can't call it insider trading because it's just, you know, he says the quiet part out loud and just for everybody to see. Um, it is intriguing that when he weighed in with the GameStop nonsense that happened back, I think, in January or February, it really provoked a lot of people to think about what, what was that GameStop stock uh, GameStop because it's not as the inside of a few hedge guys privately talking to each other on the phone trying to stick it to somebody else through collusion this was happening on a chat board with I don't know how many or thousands of investors all publicly saying yeah we're gonna screw the guy here the man do a short squeeze like it kind of sort of feels like insider trading, except it wasn't inside and it was non-public, but it was certainly an attempt at market manipulation, I would say. We don't have any legal or regulatory framework to deal with this just yet. Tom, it's also fortuitous that you brought up GameStop, GameStop because just week, the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Kessler, had his first appearance for a House Oversight Committee, a Services Committee, they called him to testify at a hearing last week on GameStop and the gamification of stock trading and whether this is or isn't something that is a problem. Or is a problem? What do we do about it? Nobody had any good answers. I do out of all, all possible regulators and regulatory minds out there to handle these things, Gary Gensler is very well prepared to figure it out. He's the last four years was teaching at MIT, thinking about single currency and its purpose in the capital markets. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the SEC try to do something about Bitcoin generally. Not to be confused with what do we do about Elon Musk specifically, who keeps shooting his mouth off and churning out these statements, whether they're statements on Twitter or actual income and earning statements from that skirt the bounds of what is or isn't acceptable. But, you know, I I have to wonder what Tesla's earnings report have looked like if they had not gone into this nonsense with buying Bitcoin it and doing speculation, which is not what a car companies do. So there's a lot of stuff there about what Elon Musk is doing. Um, so, Matt, there's also an issue, your blog post on this topic, which, which 
perhaps more technical, uh, troubling to me, and that was MicroStrategy. I was wondering if you could tell us a little yeah. bit about that company and uh, why you found uh, their actions uh, at least noteworthy. Micro is a, a biz software. They are based in Virginia. They are not small, but they're not huge. And for a long time, uh, its annual revenue had been kind of poking around 500 million a year or so. It had been slowly drifting downward. And last summer, MicroStrategy announced that it would pick up a strategy. In addition to being a business software firm, it was going to start buying Bitcoin. Uh, and it bought, I think, about $380 million worth of Bitcoin uh, last year, last summer. By the end of third quarter, 2020, those Bitcoin holdings that MicroStrategy had were worth $381 million. Okay, whatever. But then you play this out through time, because Bitcoin was so volatile, the its holdings got bigger and, and bigger. So as of last week, when MicroStrategies filed its first quarter uh, 10K or 10Q for first quarter 2021, its holdings in Bitcoin are now worth $0.9 billion. This is for me whose total assets worth $2.4 billion. So almost all of this business's assets are now tied up in Bitcoin. Well, my question then is whether this company is, is this still an owning company selling business software? Or are these guys really a mutual fund for Bitcoin that they have a moonlighting side job as selling business software like they always had? Because I know people now who are buying MicroStrategy stock as a to buy Bitcoin and want you from their perspective. That is not what MicroStrategy was designed to do was supposed to be a business software firm. Might I point out that if you look at its balance sheet over the quarters or so, its assets before it bought any Bitcoin were only $880 million. Now it's $2.4 billion. But one point of, of, that, of that amount is all Bitcoin. So if you strip Bitcoin out of the balance sheet, its assets have actually fallen by more than 40% in nine months. That's a big deal. That is not a promising company. However, it looks good because, hey, man, we got all this Bitcoin that more than we know what to do with. Uh, the company's share price went from 420 in January to $1,270 in February. Bitcoin was popping. It's down near $570 a share. So this is all over the place. The balance sheet is ballooning like you can't believe. All of this is due to this software company betting on Bitcoin. That's it is not due to any grand new operating business that MicroStrategy is launching. It doesn't have any great new software that I know of. It's been doing what it's always been doing and what it was doing before. You know, wasn't that really great? You know, the business not growing all that much. So sort of desperation play, which isn't illegal per se. You can do any strategy you want. And we have rural investment companies, which do not apply to operating companies. So what are we doing here, folks? Is MicroStrategy a company or is it a Bitcoin holding company? Or if we're going to say it's both, I don't necessarily see how that is in the interests of investors. It is confusing at best and potentially misleading to let operating companies go nuts 
with these Bitcoin and cryptocurrency investments? And does that command most of their time now? Or are we talking about how their executive compensation plans, are those tied to the operating business? Or are they tied to the, the balance sheet, which is just really tied to Bitcoin? And who knows how that value calculated? It's these Elon Musk fanboys who are just bidding up and down and down and up and up. And here we go. What are we doing here? We need a better regulatory framework to govern how cryptocurrency fits into corporate holdings or into the cap markets generally. And regulators have not been doing that yet. I, I, like I said before, I have great hope that Gary Gens will do better with this, but he hasn't done it yet. And the need is getting too big to ignore. So we've talked about Bitcoin largely as an asset or an investment vehicle, but there's another role of Bitcoin, which can actually be a currency. Any thoughts on the Fed's role in any of this? You know, that's not where I thought you were going to go with that, Tom. I thought you were going to talk about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency's role as a v- commit fraud, which is what it is. That uh, just the, the, I don't know, other month or so, I saw that OFAC had sanctioned a Bitcoin uh, trading exchange whose name escapes me right now. But basically, uh, people were using Bitcoin to make routine purchases in Cuba, I think it was, or in other sanctioned countries. But if you are a currency exchange and you're dabbling in crypto and the ultimate customers that you're helping there are doing deals in sanctioned countries, sanctions problem. And OFAC is going to land on you, which they have done. Um, there are all sorts of other fraud concerns that we have to think, think about. Uh, I don't know what the Fed is going to do about this. I Probably the Fed isn't quite sure what they're going to do about this. I am intrigued to see that some of the very large banks like Goldman Sachs are now getting into Bitcoin transactions and trading. Um, if I were them, I would think long and hard of actual crimes risk that is around this. And into this, without the regulatory compliance, framework yet fully developed. So several years from the compliance risks that you might face as a financial firm dealing in Bitcoin might be considerably larger than this Wild West Yahoo thing that we've got cryptocurrency right now. Uh, so we also have to wonder, you know, what compliance policies and procedures we're going to have for a risk that we don't fully know about yet, um, except that Bitcoin's a vehicle fraud, period. It is. A lot of people are going to beat me up on this because a lot of the fanboys out there, but it is what it is. And uh, technology is racing ahead of our ability to govern the consequences of that technology. That's a big issue with crypto, and we need to think of I think we're going to end on that point, Matt. That was a great summary. <laughs> so uh, right. I think we will right. probably get to revisit this issue uh, down the road, and I look forward to it. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. We're going to link to Matt's blog post on this issue, which I know you will enjoy. This month on the Compliance Podcast Network, I premiered a new series, Survive and Thrive, where with my co-host, Courtney Nordrum, we take a look at compliance disasters, what are the lessons learned, and more importantly, how can you avoid them? I know you will enjoy this great new series. Courtney's a natural on the podcast. We do a video show as well. So check it out on either YouTube or if you want the audio version on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Tom Fox. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance.
Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.